0: Welcome to A Slob Comes Clean, the podcast. I am Dana K. White. I share my personal deslobification process. As I figure out ways to keep my own home under control, I share the truth about cleaning and organizing strategies that actually work in real life for real people, people who don't love cleaning and organizing. Thanks for joining me today. This is podcast number 384, and I'm going to call it Talking About Goals with John Cuff. So John Acuff is someone who I have followed for a long time. My husband actually was the one who started following him years ago, and um, I'm excited to have him on the show talking about goals today. But one thing that he casually mentioned as an example in our conversation, which full disclosure, we had this before last summer, but one of the things that he casually mentioned was his own fears over hiring someone. And that is just one of those things that's, you know, kind of played in my brain, as that is something I have been thinking a lot about. So kind of fits that this is the episode where I mentioned to you that I am hiring. So I know, ultimately, this is only going to apply to maybe one of you, right? Um, But I did want to just let you know that um, we're hiring. And so if you think you might be the right person, go check it out. So I I have amazing people who work for me, but we're looking for a virtual office manager. That's what we're calling it. We thought about calling it like detail juggler or chief follow-through officer. Uh, But if you think that you might be the right person for this position, go to aslobcomesclean.com slash hiring to see the job description and find out how to apply. A couple other things really quickly, take your house back is on sale. September 20th for $94. Go to aslobcomesclean.com slash take. And don't forget too that we are running a 10 years of the podcast giveaway. If you go to aslobcomesclean.com slash 10 years, T-E-N-Y-E-A-R-S Okay, If you go there, uh, you'll find out how to enter by sharing on your own social media, how long you've been listening to the podcast and what you like about it, and then entering there. Um, But the prize for that is, uh, which one person will be chosen at random, but the prize is two hours of decluttering coaching from one of my certified decluttering coaches. So if you go to declutteringcoaches.com, you see all of my coaches who are certified in my no mess, decluttering process, okay? And you can pick one of those coaches. If there's not one who's available to actually help you in your home, so many of them do virtual coaching as well, so you'll definitely be able to find someone to work with you. Anyway, two hours of coaching, you'll arrange it, and then I will pay them for their time.
1: Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. All right, let's get to the conversation
0: with John Acuff. John Akef, you're on my podcast. I'm excited. Yeah, thanks for having me. I think this is going to be fun. It is. So uh, let's talk about goals because that's what your new book is about, right? That comes out here very, very soon. But before we do that, I want to know about you because I know who you are. And I just, I can't believe you don't remember when we met at one of your speaking events and took a picture together. Like, I just can't which believe vi- that. Which event was it? It was Blistem in Dallas.
1: Oh, blistem, Dallas was probably... Nine years ago. That was a <laughs> long time ago. Yeah. Blistem. I love Allie Worthington. I'm yeah. such a big Allie fan. She lives here in Nashville where I live. So yeah, that I loved that event. I spoke at the, the one in Dallas. It was at the Gaylord, right? Wasn't mm-hmm. it? Yes. Yeah, and then um, the one in Nashville too. So yeah, I was a huge... I don't know if the the Dallas one was the one where I I admitted I had a spanx on during the speech. Yeah, you did. I remember okay. that very there clearly. We go. That yes. I remembered. Yeah, that I remember. Like, yeah. So that was not I just done a done standard that. joke for every no, single. No, no, no. That's why I remember it. No, I ne- <laughs> no. I'm never like if I'm at Range Rover speaking to their team. I'm never like hey, I got a spanx on. Yeah, no, that was a one and done. But I think
0: was- I went home thinking, huh. I didn't know men could wear Spanx. Honey, do you want some Spanx? I asked my husband and he said, no, it was strange. I- well, a
1: stylist told me you're so wrinkled on stage. Like you're so, wr- and I have no idea and like how I'm right. presenting. And so they said, if you're going to speak in a sweater or a certain type of shirt, put a Spanx on below it. So that it hides all the wrinkles on like a regular undershirt. And I was like, I'll receive that feedback. I'll learn from anybody. If a stylist wants to tell me I look sloppy. <laughs> all right, let's figure that
0: out. Let's do it. Let's, let's yeah, do it. That's, that's always there for the help. So, yeah. okay. So I know who you are, but you tell my audience who you are. Um, well, my name is John.
1: I live in Nashville, Tennessee. I've got two teenage daughters. I've been married to my wife, Jenny, for 22 years. And my background, um, I grew up writing meaning that I I majored in journalism. I spent about 15 years in corporate America writing advertising and marketing for companies like Home Depot and Bose and Staples. And then I started a website on the side of life. Like a lot of people start things on the side of life and that started to grow over time. It wasn't fast. It wasn't instant by any means. Um, But that slowly became what I do full time now, which is write books and talk about the books. And my books are based around pursuing goals in your life. So one was called finish about finishing goals. One is called start, guess what that one was about, starting goals. And then I'll take topics that I see getting in the way of goals. Like my last book was called soundtrack so it was about mindset because I kept seeing people that they knew what to do, they had it all laid out. It wasn't that it was complicated, but they had all this overthinking that got in the way and they didn't have a mindset that helped them actually do the thing they wanted to do. So I wrote a book about mindset and how it applies to goals.
0: So specifically, this one is called All It Takes is a Goal.
1: Mm-hmm. All It Takes is a Goal.
0: Three-step plan. I love a three-step plan yep. to ditch regret and tap into your massive potential. I have to ask as an author, um, did you write the title? Was it yes. your title? Yes. Whole thing.
1: Well, All It Takes is a Goal. Um, that title was the, I have a podcast called All It Takes is a Goal. And mm-hmm. it was the title exercise for this one was we went around and around and around and around. And it was one of those moments where it was like, I think we already have the title. I think this is the title. For me, I learned a million dollar titling lesson on a book called Do Over. And I'll tell anybody who wants to write a book, this is just, please, please, please learn this for free because it costs me a lot of money. People don't want to have a negative title. People don't like to identify with negativity. So I had a book called Do Over, which is about job transition. I was going through a job transition. A lot of people were... And I thought it was positive rise from the ashes, the Phoenix and people who saw it, read it as, Hey, failure. So you failed and you need to start again. And no one would give that book to anybody. Like no one would go, Hey, this is a book about people who have wrecked their lives called do over. Do you want to read it? Like no wife would give that to a husband. (laughs) It's like when somebody goes, I heard somebody, you know, speak about anger. I got you a book to read, sweetheart. It's about rage. Like just going to put it on your nightstand. And so with finish my next book the initial subtitle was stop making perfect the enemy of done and we like stop enemy nope negative we changed the subtitle to give yourself the gift of done and it sold three times as many as do over and so i'm a big believer in okay how do you have a positive title that's sticky that's easy to remember um so yeah. that's my that's how i think about titles
0: i'm all about the long titles but whatever <laughs> what's
1: like what's your favorite
0: title of mine yeah um decluttering at the speed of life that's good. It's good.
1: Yeah.
0: But, you know, they they always tell me I can't have my title because it's going to be too long. And then I always get it, you know, yeah, yeah. so I'm like, eh. well, and you're
1: the one that's going to stand next to it for years and years and years and years and years.
0: Like, But I do know, like with my last book, not that it's done as well as declaring the speed of life, but I, you know, my website, uh, is, my podcast is called The slob comes clean, which mm-hmm. is a negative word. I mean, it just is, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things I talk about a lot, but it's also part of it. Like it's part of the story and it reaches yeah. the actual, you know, pe- so but it's it, a
1: transformation. It's, it's okay. If it's negative, if there's a transformation, like if it's if the title of the book was slob, nobody's going to go, Oh, that's right. me. I want to, I want to carry right. a book that says slob around, like, but a slob comes clean. It has, a has life transformation, in but
0: it. it does present challenges. You're, you're very right in that, yeah. you know, but, um, but with the last book, I said, Hey, can we put on the cover instead of creator of a slob comes clean? Like the other ones do put, author of decluttering at the speed of life, which is the one that has done the best, you know? So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, let's, let's change that yeah. little wording there because sure. it was from the gift book division. And so I'm like, well, nobody's going to give somebody a book that says slob on it, you know? So anyway. Yeah. yeah.
1: So you're, <laughs> yeah. you, we could geek out about little writer things yeah. all the time. Yeah. I love that.
0: But it's a mindset shift. It really is. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, I do have to be honest. I thought you were going to say that it was because the website was duver.com.
1: No, no, I didn't. And I didn't even, I couldn't even get the URL. Somebody already had the URL. So that one, no, it was that like we changed the subtitle when we did the, the soft cover version. Like we tried to fix it and it was my title. Like it wasn't like, oh, yeah. the publisher made a mistake. I was the one who was like, this is the title. This is that. Like it was just, I just learned the lesson. I learned yeah. the lesson about like people. I like the way I think about it now is like, you pitch the solution on the cover and you fix the problem inside, like yeah. that's the mindset shift. Yes. And it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm gonna fix the heck out of it inside, but if I overdo the pain on the cover, people don't. Now, there's always exceptions, of course, but I think in general, especially Americans don't like to identify with a problem, even if their house is on fire, they're like, no, it's fine, it just keeps me warm. And you're like, you like, we are a culture <laughs> that lives largely in denial, and so saying a problem as the only like source of information. I just don't think people identify with it.
0: Let's talk about denial. Yeah. I mean, sure. where does denial come in, in this, all it takes is a goal. Like where, yeah. where does that factor in, in you helping people break through that denial? Cause I feel like that's a lot of what I help people do here, yeah. you know, is like denial of what I thought I was going to be, what I thought I was going to need, what I thought I was going to make use of all this time. And now I'm just going to have to stick it in a donate box. So like, where is denial a factor yeah, in I mean, goal setting? So
1: the book started with the story and all my books start with something that I, I have an experience, And then I go, wow, I need to dig deeper into this. And then I go, do other people need this? Like I look at three things when, when I read a book. A personal passion, because you're going to talk about it for years. The reason Mm -hmm. this podcast has over 300 episodes is you're personally connected to this topic. This isn't a topic for you, that you had 50 different topics, and this is the one that took off. So you're like, fine, I'll talk about, like, this is a passion for you. second thing is, do people actually need it? Do I see a need for it? And third is, is there a spot for me in the marketplace? Is there somewhere that I can fit in with this idea in a unique way? So with this book, the passion was we're standing on a college campus that my wife and I both attended, Sanford University in Birmingham, Alabama. We're there to tour my daughter, my oldest daughter. And my wife said, wasn't college the best. It was amazing. And I was having the opposite experience. I was remembering all the ways I wasted my potential, all the mistakes. I was just a mess in college. And driving home, I started to kind of process that. And I'd just written soundtracks. And so soundtracks teaches three questions that you ask broken soundtracks. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it kind? It was true. It's 100% true I wasted college. It is. It's just, that's just factually true. Is it helpful for me to say that to myself again and again and again and again and beat myself up with that and live in the shame of that? Of course not. Is it kind? Of course not. So I had to say, okay, I didn't make the most of college. What do I do going forward? Like that was four years. Let's say I live 40 more years. What can I do with that? And so I think where denial comes in is denial doesn't even admit it hurts. Like you first have to hurt, like feel the like you have to process that. Our culture says garbage motivational stuff, like you should be fearless. You can find some way to be fearless. And I, I don't agree with that at all. Because every time you do something new, every time you declutter some new thing or new challenge, there's fear involved because you've never done it and there should be. Now, the soundtrack I use is that fear gets a voice, not a vote. It has a voice. I learned from it. You can't be fully self-aware if you deny fear. Like I learned from it, but it doesn't get a vote in the sense of it doesn't get to tell me what I'm going to do or what I'm not going to do. So for me, that's where the book started and denial is in every step of a goal of, I want something. There are people who are divorced from desire. Like the study we did, there's a PhD named Mike Peasley who helps me with research. We asked 3000 people if they feel like they're living up to the potential. 96% said no. So this is an everyone problem there. I've got my box mark need checked. Mm-hmm. And then 50% of them said that 50% of, of their, their potential is untapped. So that's like only opening half your Christmas presents every year. Like, do you like imagine you come downstairs, there's a pile in the corner, you even have friends and family members that are going, We see something in you. Like, go over there, you can open those, and you don't open them. And people get disconnected and divorced from their desire. They can't admit that. Where, where moms struggle with de- denial, at least because my audience is 75% female. So, mm-hmm. like that's who I'm talking to. They'll say, Well, I can't work on a goal because that's selfish. Like, I've got to give everything I have to my kids. And if I pause for just the briefest of moments, that's selfish and And so I'm going to deny this desire I have to declutter or build a business or launch a podcast. And so, yeah, denial is woven throughout goals. Um, It's one of the things you have to deal with as you continue to work on
0: goals. What's what's your first step of your three-step process?
1: Yeah. So the first step, the, the book kind of breaks it down that the challenge is most people float between one of three performance zones. They're either in the comfort zone, so they're kind of stuck. Then they get inspired often, especially around January, they get inspired. And so they try to do everything and they go right over to the chaos zone. So this would be in a decluttering sense. Okay. I want to declutter. I got inspired by a book I read or a podcast, and so I immediately went to the container store and I spent three hundred dollars. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna organize
0: down to the toothbrush level. So you mean and they didn't read my book? Okay, no. that's the number one problem. Exactly.
1: Yeah, they there's chaos. So they go to the chaos zone. They try to do everything. It falls apart. And in between that is the potential zone, where it's kind of like the Goldilocks zone. It's not too much. It's not too little. You make sustainable, long term decisions that give you sustainable change. And so the first step is, how do you create an easy goal? But like an easy goal helps you escape the comfort zone. So how you build at yourself an easy goal. Step two is you build yourself a middle goal. It's kind of think about a ladder and one, one rail says time and one says effort. A lot of people try to jump and grab the top rail and they go, Why did I fail? And you go, Well, you've never run and you sign up for a marathon next week because you heard an Eminem song. You got inspired. That's not how that's not sustainable. And so you build a middle goal, which increases it. And then you build the last step is what I call a guaranteed goal, where you've now have enough effort, enough time, enough repetition to actually go, okay, this is going to happen. Like I've got this in motion. So those are the three steps is you really figure out three different types of goals.
0: Getting the most out of your grocery dollar can be challenging these days, to say the least. Having a focused Again, that's prepdish.com slash a slob comes clean for your first two weeks free. This is a no brainer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Projects, so many projects. Taking care of all the things gets overwhelming. So when I get that feeling of overwhelm, I know I need to take steps to make my mental well-being a priority. you prefer to meet via phone call, video, or live chat, and you can plan your sessions at your convenience to suit your schedule. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com clean today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash clean. off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code CLEAN at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. So it's getting started with the easy stuff. which our first step in decluttering, in my decluttering process, is trash. That's the easiest of the easy stuff. It's decision-free. So Is that how you define easy? Like, how do you define easy in these things? When people are trying to say, this is my situation. Yep. You tell me to set an easy goal, but everything feels hard. Like literally I'm so overwhelmed. I can't identify the easy.
1: Well, I mean, so in situations like that, I always tell people like, well, don't try to do it alone then. If you're if you're that stuck, you can't you know, do one thing, don't try to do it alone. Maybe your first step is to find a friend to say, Hey, I'm really stuck. I need, you know, community in this. Like I need, it needs to be bigger than me. I've tried me every way possible and it's not working. So I want to try something else. So, I mean, for me though, an easy goal, I always say it can like, one of the signs is it can be accomplished in one to seven days. Like, and it it takes one to seven. So if you say for the next 30 days, I'm going to do this every day. That's not an easy goal that like you've now just given yourself 30 different goals that's that's not easy you can't actually do that like it's going to be really difficult for you to accomplish that so an easy goal one to 7 days has obvious first steps it's not confusing so th- the trash example there's obvious steps it's not you don't have to make decisions and go well where will I donate this where will I you know it's the step is the trash can i'm assuming and then it's not expensive so there's not a cost kind of standing between you and the goal. It matches your current schedule. That's another thing with easy goals is you have to be able to fit it into your life. So a lot of times people mess up on their goals cuz they'll say, "John, I'm going to I'm going to run 5 times this week or I'm going to do, you know, five hours on my book and they never look at their current schedule and realize they have 30 minutes available. Like they, mm-hmm. they have two twin four-year-olds, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old they're running, you know, a, they work full-time. There's all these, they don't have the time. So it immediately fails because it doesn't match their current schedule. An easy goal should never force you to radically change your schedule. Cause that's going to, that's really challenging. Yeah. So that, that, you know, and then I love this example from um, this book, Streaking um, that said, it should feel like it's not enough. Like, you know, you've got a good, easy goal when you tell friends and they go, is that all? Like when it should be so small that when you tell a friend, they're not impressed. And you go, my goal is to throw away, um, you know, a Ziploc bag full of receipts that are on my desk. And like, and yeah. you go, I'm pretty proud of myself. And they should be like, what, really? Is that all? Like, great, that means okay. it's easy.
0: Well, let Well, let's talk about that because I think that is part of the... The issue, I do want to say first, like one of the things we've talked about a lot around here is this whole idea of, I don't believe that consistency is a good goal because you can't achieve consistency today where I can achieve. And so like this, this whole idea of choose something easy to get started because there's this, it's so daunting to think all I have to do is just be consistent, but that's going to take me 30 days. Yeah. I can't do that today. That's, a, and I've, yeah, I've never gotten there before. Yeah. Like I've never done this. I've never been successful at being consistent. And so then it becomes too overwhelming where it's like, the goal is not to be consistent. The goal is to do something right now. And then that inspires me to do something tomorrow. And I then love, I achieve I love that consistency. Yeah, I love that. Right. Yeah. So, so let's talk though about other people's perspectives, because a lot of what you talk about you're very inspiring on business building and things like that. I mean that's how, you know, I've followed you for years. So how do you in that, you don't have to talk about decluttering necessarily because I, you know, totally know what people experience sure. and their friends being like, "No, no, no, this is how you have to declutter." And I'm like, "Well, I that's not what I teach, you know, and that's not what my people follow. They po- they follow my five-step process." And so sometimes the struggle is I know this works. Because I'm experiencing success. And then the outside person says, Oh, well, that's not enough. Like, shouldn't you be doing this, this, and this that they have learned in theory? Okay. These other people have learned it in theory, or they've, you know, used their logic to figure out what I would do, you know, because what I would do, that's real helpful, right? Versus what is actually working for them. So, how do you encourage people in those situations where they're frustrated that? the people they wish were impressed and excited for them are telling them they should be doing something more than what they're doing here in these beginning stages.
1: Yeah, I mean, I always remind myself that no one should be as excited about my goal as me. Like I'm the most excited person. So I, I can't hold a single other person to my level of excitement because it's my goal. So if I go to a friend going... I need you to match my excitement at 100% for this. I've already failed. Like I'm doomed because they have their own life. They have their own challenges, their own things they're working on. So what number 1, I don't expect a friend to match my yes. level of excitement. So so that's the first thing. The second thing is I try to find my own scorecard for what matters to me. If I let somebody else go, hey, I saw a documentary on decluttering, so I'm kind of an expert now, or I saw business, like I i heard this guy on Instagram say, you got to work 80 hours a week and you don't do that. And so you're doing it wrong. Like I have to live my life by my scorecard. And so for me, and it only gets easier and easier to do as I accomplish things. If somebody said to me, well, you're writing books the wrong way, I'd say, well, I've written nine and it's been helped. The way I do it is helpful to me. So I'm going to keep doing it that way. I can certainly improve. I can get title feedback. There's certainly ways I can make my approach better, but I'm, I'm doing it the way I know how to do it. And it's productive. Like I can see results. Um, and then the other thing is like, this hit me recently. This is such a silly example. I saw this influencer that was like, you got to drink a gallon of water. You got to drink a gallon of water, gallon of water a day. So I tried that for a couple of days and I felt sick. Like I was like, it was all I was doing. My productivity actually went down because I was going to the bathroom so many times a day. And I had, (laughs) I had to leave meetings that were important to go, Hey, I'm so sorry, but I've got to go use the bat. Like I would have been on stage at an event and needed to go to the bathroom. I came to find out later, the influencer that suggested that weighs 150 pounds more than me. He has physical body needs that are different than mine. That would be like if somebody six, eight said, John, this is the size pants you have to wear if you wanna be successful. And I was like, I guess I just gotta get longer pants. So I'm always trying to go, how do I modify what this person said to what I know about my strengths, my challenges, my life? Because if I get into this spot where I'm comparing to their scorecard, like, I'm doomed. And it's so easy to slip into. And I, again, this, this, the water story is like two weeks old. It's not like I've, I've learned this lesson and I'm on a mountain somewhere with wisdom. I'm constantly learning oh, some yeah. of the same lessons again and again. But I try to have my own scorecard and go, this is what matters. Like, another example would be like if a 28 year old who's single and not married, and has no kids, tells me how many times a year I should do speaking engagements. They don't have two teenage daughters they're trying to raise and they don't have a wife they're trying to be present to and love. And like, so their standard of time is radically different from my standard of time. I can still learn from them, but I'm not going to expect them to understand how I'm doing what I do. And I can't take their feedback as this is the gospel.
0: Right. Well, and I think too, in your answer there, which I agree, I'm always like, listen, you're the one watching some lady talk about this on the internet. Like they're not, they're not as into it as you are. They're not paying as much attention. But what you said was not an attempt to win an argument because that's not helpful, right? Your goal is to declutter. It's not to prove that the way that you're decluttering is the very best way in the whole world. Your goal is to get the thing done. And so all you have to worry about is How does what they're saying affect me getting my goal done as opposed Mm -hmm. to how can I convince them that what I'm doing is right? So I like what you said about this is what I'm doing. These are the results I've seen. That's why I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing.
1: Yeah. And your goal. Yeah, you're right. You're 100% right. Your goal isn't they declutter their house your goal is you feel peace in your life because you've gone through this process. Like their success isn't your, it'd be great if they did like be awesome. Like I'm sure, I'm sure there are so many relationships that have been strengthened from your, your advice as people do this together. I think that can be amazing, but you're right. That's your goal is okay. I'm decluttering for my own sense of peace for my own, whatever, whatever your goal is there. It's not somebody else's.
0: Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about, let's specifically talk about regret since that's in your title. Sure. Fear of regret. How do past regrets hold you back from tackling the next goal? How does a fear of regret, a fear of making a wrong decision, you know, just let's talk to, let's talk about regret. Yeah,
1: um I mean, I think that a, a really easy way to say here's how regret holds you back is when past regrets get current time and energy and creativity. So, a thing that happened 10 years ago is the star of today. And maybe there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, there's there's different situations in life where a relationship has there's been, you know, an apology, it's been as repaired as it can be and there's not going to be resolution in the sense of you're going to be as close as you used to be. Like the, you know, the marriage ended like in and th- there's not going to be a sense of, okay, but I want it to be exactly like it used to be. Um, so I think sometimes you get stuck in regret when you're using your best time, your best creativity, your best imagination, your best whatever to live in a moment that no longer really exists. And you haven't processed it. You haven't learned from it. You're trying to you know fix something that can't be fixed. And there's no end to that. That's the challenge with regret is there's no natural conclusion. Regret will take every bit of time energy. regret will never tell you you're done regret will never go hey you know what you know what i think we did it i think we did it like we regret it enough regret it will always go no let's go more let's go more let's go more um so for me a big part of regret is to say okay what did i learn from it like what could i do differently have i processed the feelings like not just stuff them down like, have I processed them? And you can do that a number of different ways. You can do that with a friend. You can do that with a therapist. I went and saw my counselor yesterday. Like mm-hmm. I talk about regret in some of my counseling sessions. Um, and it's funny, men have a hard time with counseling sometimes. And they, but if you say performance coach, they're like, oh yeah, yeah, totally. That like performance coach, <laughs> like they get. And it's funny that we're like, Professional athletes. Now the, the top ones all have performance coaches. They all have mindset coaches like Steph Curry doesn't just work in a shot. He works on his mindset because so much of what he does field goal kickers have mindset coaches because it's not the kicking that's hard. It's the stepping up with one second left on the clock and the fans. you know? And so for me, There's just a lot of ways that I I actively work on dealing with regret. And a simple way to start would be to just write it out. Regret's really big in your head. It gets really small on paper. Like one of the soundtracks I say is that paper shrinks regret. Paper shrinks regret. Because then if I can actually put it down on paper and it doesn't have to be fancy or well-written... I, I can see what I'm really thinking about versus in my head, it feels massive and tangled and confusing. And so a simple way to kind of declutter your mind is, okay, I'm going to write 50 words about how I feel about this thing. And I'm going to actually, you know, see if there's something for me to learn. So yeah, re- but that's how i look at regret is that it's never done. You have to be the one who de- declare it's done. And usually it, it doesn't happen just one time. There's certain regrets that I have to let go of like as an experience, not an event, like where I go, I don't go, Oh yeah, I've done that. I'm done with that regret. Like it tends to come back up a week later or a month later, or sometimes even a year later and go, Hey, just wanted to see
0: if you wanted to, you
1: you seem like you're too happy right now. I'd like to, I'd like to bring that back down to something, you know, another level. You're like, Whoa, I've already dealt with that. No. Um, Do you have an um, example
0: you can give us of a regret that dealing with it was the thing that helped you move on
1: Yeah. So a specific example from my own life, Um, I had a job and I was just not a good employee. Like I was really not a good employee. I was young, I was immature, but I just didn't do my best. Um, I didn't leave on the best terms. I think they were honestly glad to see me go when I got a different job. And about a year later, I wrote my boss and my boss's boss an apology email. Um, I, I didn't have their phone numbers. It wasn't, we weren't that close, but so I wrote both of them an apology email and said, "Hey, you know, cuz I I was regretting their experience with me as a writer, their experience with me as an employee, their experience with me as a person. I had made their jobs harder, I had complicated their days with my, you know, sarcastic, belligerent attitude." And so one of the people wrote back and said, "Hey, you know what? That was a crazy environment for all of us. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that." And the other person said, yeah, I don't know what your problem was. You were terrible. Like She just (laughs) heaped it on. But the purpose of it wasn't for me to get them to say something back to me. The purpose was for me to express the apology. You don't control the response. You control your actions. And so both of them had the, they both got to do that. And I, I received both and said, okay, but that's one where I no longer look back on that. And this was 15 years ago and go, man I wasn't a good employee at that company cuz I've I've resolved that to the best of my abilities to resolve. I can't go back and be a better employee like it's 15 years ago. Like like that thing doesn't exist anymore. But especially relationally, I can own the things I did wrong in that moment and then I get to sleep better knowing okay, I've apologized to the two people that 100% deserved apologies.
0: Okay. No, that's good. It's the acknowledging. I'm really big on I'm not going to promise you there's not going to be these feelings. These feelings are going to happen, right? Yeah. Like they are. And so let's, I like the idea of writing it out. Getting the most out of your grocery dollar can be challenging these days, to say the least. Having a focused Again, that's prepdish.com slash a slob comes clean for your first two weeks free. This is a no brainer. So what about um, not being able to move forward because you fear regret? future, you fear regret. Experiencing yeah. experiencing that in the future.
1: Po- potential regret is really tricky because it's not a great way to live your life. And I've done that before where I'll make a decision based on the smallest amount of regret I'll feel if it goes wrong um, versus the biggest joy I'll get if it goes right. So you kind of have to sit there and go, Okay, can you say that making, again? I'm
0: sorry. Can you say that one more time? I liked that. Yeah.
1: So making your decisions based not on the smallest amount of regret you'll feel if it goes wrong, but on the biggest amount of joy you'll get if it goes right. And that there's fear involved in that. There just is. And so, like the way I think about that is I never got a single one-star review until I wrote books. When I when I worked at any company, even companies that again, I didn't do a good job at. I didn't have public one-star reviews. Nobody, there was never a website that would say, you'd go in and say, John Acuff's a bad copywriter. I didn't like the way he wrote that advertising for Home Depot. He sucks. (laughs) Like I never had a, there was only one-star reviews in my life when I dared to write a book. But for me, the joy of writing that book was so much bigger, 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 bigger than the regret of a possible one-star review. And also who says I have to read one-star reviews? There's no rules that say that. Like, I don't read one. star. Why would I read one-star reviews? Like, no, I don't need that. And so for me, that's an example of where I've tried in my life to go, what's the joy versus what's the possibility of regret? Because what fear does is fear asks you to fix fictional problems. Fear is always going like... Growing my team, I have a small team, and when I started this business, I was like, Man, I don't I want to expand, but I don't want to have to fire somebody. The person didn't even exist yet. I hadn't even hired the person yet. And fear was going, What if in like four years you have to fire them? And it's like Christmas and they have a family, and like, man, that's gonna and they maybe they have a farm too, and they're gonna lose their farm when you find like what that's a fictional problem. So I I often have to tell myself in moments like that, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second am I trying to fix a fictional problem with my factual time? Like right now I got real time that I'm giving to something that hasn't happened yet. That doesn't, it's not guaranteed to happen. It's a long way from happening. So why am I trying to like, and then the other thing with that is you'll be a different person by the time that thing happens, even if it does happen. Like if my, say I write a book next year and it doesn't get good reviews that's next year, John's issue. I'll be even more much, I'll be ready to handle that even better because I'm going to keep growing. Like I've got, I'll have another year of growth under my belt when that happens. Like, so like I look at you and go, okay, nine years of podcasting. You handle challenges now with your podcast that would have been really hard year one. They would have been wait, but guess what? Your podcast year nine person. That person's like, oh. Okay, like let's go. Like the joy that I get from this is bigger than it's ever been and I've got 9 years of of expertise in this so I can handle it. So I think that's what I think of is is the joy going to be big if I win and and producing a book it's huge joy. Now there's regret, there's sadness, there's there's you know there's heartache in it of course, but it's smaller than the joy. That's I'll make that trade. I'll make that trade. Like yeah. I'll stare at the joy versus the regret. And the law, and I have to tell myself that it's not like I naturally, I'm a very negative, pessimistic, cynical person by nature, like very, but I work really hard at positivity because I've tried positivity and I've tried negativity and the ROI, the return on investment for positivity is so much better. Like yes. it's so, so I wake up so many mornings where I have to, today I posted it, that rejoice is a choice. Rejoice is a choice. I'm going to work on that today. Like not go, how do I feel today? Cause a lot of days I don't feel like that. I go, no, I'm going to choose that. I'm going to choose that. I'm going to choose that. And sometimes I have to choose it a thousand times a day. Sometimes I have to choose it 10, but it's part of my process.
0: Yeah. Yes. It's that you might have to replace this item. I'm not going to pretend like you are not going to regret getting rid of this. However, the money that you're going to spend on that, count that as what you're paying for this space to be decluttered between now and then. And, and would you pay most that for likely peace? you'll never have to pay that money. Yeah. Would you pay
1: that for peace? Like if yes. you had to replace a $12 item, mm-hmm. which, that, that's not fun. Would you pay $12 for the amount of peace you're going to experience yep. from this experience? And most people would go, yeah,
0: that's a pretty good deal for peace. Yep. I mean, peace is only $12. That's a pretty good price. I'll, yes. I'll a decluttered that. space. I mean, because most people would absolutely say, I would give somebody a $100 bill right now if they would make this space be decluttered. Yep. So there you go. I do Uh, have to tell you my philosophy on one-star reviews. Yeah, let's hear it. I think they're great Mm -hmm. because that's what people read. Let's just be honest. And if they are actually well-written, like purposeful Mm -hmm. reviews, then they reveal a lot about the book and they actually help me find my target audience. So for me, my one-star reviews are things like, I can't believe somebody needed to be told to start with the trash. Like, are there really people out there who don't know that that's where you have to start? Like, how do people not? Know? And I'm like, you know what? That's what people are going to read, and they're going to go, "Okay, this book is for me." I, I mean, like, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good point. So, that's so that's point. how I twist that because I do read them all. Mm-hmm. I just have to. I do think very unkind thoughts about the people who leave the one one star reviews. Yeah. So. no for me
1: i just know like i and again that's a that's a living like in the moment example of modify what works for you so Mm -hmm. for me the time i spend out on those one reviews isn't worth the value i get from the person who gave me feedback because i have other people that give me feedback so it's not that i'm in a vacuum and don't get enough feedback and i need to go find like gary who said something about the book So for me, like, no, I just, in the number of years I've done it, I'm like, nah, it's not worth the trade-off. The time I'll spend thinking about that person and going, man, I wish I could win that person over. Like, I'll just go down a rabbit hole. It's, and I'll just go, but I like three-star reviews because for me, a three-star review a lot of times is like, okay, this would have made it a five. If it was a five, this would have um, this would have made it a little better.
0: So sometimes well, and it gives real stars. information, like yeah. a three-star review generally gives real information, but no, yeah. I, if, if they can, if they give a reason why I feel like, well, then that just kind of weeds out the people who don't need it. And then the people who desperately need it and yep. think nothing can ever solve their problems, yeah. you know? So that's how fine. often
1: do you read your reviews?
0: Um, you know, I don't as much as I used to. Yeah. Um, but I mean, on a fairly regular basis. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I'm, like one-star reviews, I'll read some of my podcast reviews because it's new. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's two years old, but it's new in the sense of podcasting and that I find helpful. And and so I did read a one-star review where they were like, man, John did not get engaged with this guest. And they were right. It was just like, I, we didn't connect and they were a hundred, and they, and they listed some specific things that I was like, I could do that better. And so it was like, for me, that one was helpful.
0: Yeah. But at the same time you put it out there, you did the thing you got the negative feedback which nobody wants that was the risk that was the fear of yeah. regret that's the fear of regret that a lot of people have in ever even doing this or ever even getting started but only because you did the thing and then experienced that are you then ready to do even better in oh, yeah. the future you know i yeah. mean like so that it it all works together it's all that experience that momentum that we gain so i do have to tell you because it's on my notes and i was going to say it at the beginning but my thanks to you is that back in, it was probably 2010, maybe. I don't even know. Were you blogging in 2010? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I started in 2009 and you were the first blogger that my husband read. Oh, nice. <laughs> and it made him like, oh, okay, now I understand what you're doing. I mean, uh, like, cause that's I was
1: great. That's great. Yeah. I love that. That's, it was kind of
0: like, I'm super into it and I'm like, you know, having interactions and stuff and it's, I mean, he's very supportive. He's always been wonderfully supportive, but he finally understood it when he started reading your blog and looking forward to it every day and all that. So. Oh,
1: that's so great. I love it. it. I mean, it was a weird thing to try to describe like in 2009 to say like, no, there's, And there's these people that I don't know, but but we're becoming friends, like, and they have (laughs) nicknames and like, yeah, it was same with podcasting. I mean, when you, you've done this for nine years, when you started, you had to explain it to people. I started two years ago. I didn't have to, like, people knew what a podcast was at that point. I've never had to explain the concept of a podcast. In the last two years, you probably did when you first started.
0: I'm still amazed at how many people don't know. But
1: Really? For me, I sell 3 times as many audiobooks as I do digital now because of podcasts. I think podcasts have taught so many people you can learn about interesting topics via audio and now like it's never for the last book that's that was the experience and that hasn't been the experience on any other book. I audio I think is such a fun way to learn.
0: It is and I I know I get in my little world and I think that everybody knows it and then I have these conversations with people in my regular life who of course, I mean, I live in a small town, you know. Yeah. I mean, which I'm not going to say. There's a lot, plenty of super, sure. you know, with it people in small towns. But it's amazing to to me how many people still have no idea what I do. Which I'm actually glad because I don't yeah. like to talk about it on a no. We have basis. weird.
1: We have weird jobs. You and yeah. I have weird jobs. Like super that's weird. just the reality of it. Like it's yeah. weird. Like it's. I love it. I wouldn't trade it for the world. But it is weird.
0: So as we finish up here, I want you to tell me the most pivotal mindset shift that you have had in your goal reaching? I mean, you have a, a long career that's gone from blogging to other things to speaking to book writing. It sounds like book writing is your favorite thing and how you kind of identify yourself. Would you say that?
1: Yeah, I would. Uh, I mean, it's it's neck and neck with speaking. Like yeah. I love being on stage, um, but the books feed that and vice versa.
0: So, so what's the biggest mindset shift if you had to narrow it down to one thing that you say, when I changed this about how I was thinking on this goal that I had of speaking and writing that I can look back and say, that's when things started to really change.
1: Yeah. So I would say um, it was when I read in a war of art by Stephen Pressfield, a friend gave me a copy of it probably 15, 16 years ago. The basic premise was that fear isn't a sign to stop. It's a sign to keep going because it only bothers you when you're doing something that you really care about. And that Mm -hmm. for me shifted my mindset about fear. Instead of going, I'm afraid of writing. So I shouldn't write, or I'm afraid of sharing ideas. So I shouldn't share them. That's a sign. Like the fear is a sign. I shouldn't do it and switching it to, Oh, wait a second. No, that's actually a really interesting early indicator that I care about something And I should lean into that and explore that. And then it turned fear into a from a stop sign into like a lighthouse that was like, look over here, like there might be something really cool here. You seem a little afraid of it. What if what if there's something cool here? That was a huge change for me. And again, Stephen Pressfield War of Art um, wasn't an idea like I came up with or stumbled on. Like that was an idea that just really took a hold of my heart and changed how I think.
0: I love that. That's great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, it a blast. This
1: is super easy.
0: Tell us about the book and yeah. where to find you online.
1: The book is called All It Takes is a Goal. It's available um, everywhere books are sold. I read the audio um, and there's a ton of bonus content in it. That's something we discovered a couple of books ago that like you should put so much fun bonus audio stuff in your books. And so I, I there's a lot of backstory. There's a lot of riffing that's only on the audio, which is fun. And then I'm at... Um, Akuf.me, um and Acup.me/slash/goals, and then my podcast is called All It Takes Is a Goal. Awesome, thank you. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate you having me.
0: Okay, did y'all love that conversation? He is a really fun follow on social media. He's got a great mix of practical stuff, with also being really, really genuinely funny and nice. Like he's nice anyway. Um, okay, three quick reminders. If you think you might be a great fit for our virtual office manager position, go to aslobcomesclean.com slash hiring, H-I-R-I-N-G, okay? Uh, If you want to grab, take your house back while it's on sale, go to aslobcomesclean.com slash take. And if you want to enter the giveaway celebrating 10 years of this podcast, go to aslobcomesclean.com slash 10 years. Okay. I'll talk to you all next week. Bye.